Well, let me add my welcome to the one I hope you just received. My name is Ben Lowe. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. So glad to be with you today. Today is my 18-year anniversary. I'm married to my bride. Just make it a little bit about me. Love you. Love you, Katie. Yeah. Um, happy Fourth of July weekend. We're going to be, uh, as has been mentioned, we're going to be talking about silence and solitude on like the loudest day of the year when you and all of your friends are just going to blow stuff up. And so I once heard that when the culture zigs, the church should zag. So we're zagging this morning. Um, but I hope this is meaningful for us. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1, so you can turn there. The first Sunday of every month, we've been talking about a particular spiritual discipline, a, a spiritual practice or rhythm that we think is critical to growth in the life of Jesus. And today we turn to silence and solitude. And uh, we're going to begin by reading about Jesus' first day of active ministry and how he spent that night. We're going to begin in Mark 1 reading verses 35 through 39, and then we're going to flip really quickly to Mark chapter 6 to read verses 30 and 31. This is God's word. Speaking of Jesus, it says, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Mark chapter 6, 30 and 31. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, by your Spirit, would you come and attend these words and give us the quiet rest and peace that the world cannot give. You invite us in this passage to come away with you for a while, to a place of rest, to a place of peace, to a quiet place, away from the noise and anxieties in the world, away from our fears the things that haunt us, the storms outside and the storms within our hearts, you say, shh, be still, and you call to us. Might we hear that voice and take up the invitation and find a place of peace with you. We pray that this may be the case in the strong name of Jesus, amen. This text has been something of a north star to me. A little bit of context for Jesus' first day in ministry. He's been busy. He's been healing. He's been teaching. 
He's been casting out demons, and the crowds have been gathering. And after all the work, it's not as if the needs around him went away. In fact, they increased. Everybody's coming after Jesus. People looking for him. The needs of his neighbor in the world calling out to him. Desirous of his time, his words, his healing. Now, I'm not Jesus, and neither are you. But I think we are familiar with those pressures. That no matter how much you may accomplish in a day, you wake up to new needs. You come home to the needs of your roommate, your loved ones, your kids. New needs calling out to you. Um, Signs, picket signs and flags calling out to you. Asking for your loyalty. Asking for you to pick a side. In our ever-connected world, we're not only present and connected, of course, to our immediate family and friends, but we have access to every voice of everyone who's logged in around the world looking for us. Everyone's looking for us. Some of them we know, some of them we don't, and they all have things for us to do or care about. At the end of our passage, Jesus does something amazing. Peter comes and says, everybody's looking for you, and we have stuff for you to do. And Jesus says, like one of the most healing words in the world, he says, No. He says no to some needs. He says yes to others. What a miracle. Amidst the pressures of life and the call to be everything to everyone, Jesus is able to cultivate a strength of soul and to know what his purpose is, what he's called to do, and what he's not called to do. Independent of the voices around him. Oh, to be free and independent of the needs and voices around us. But somehow, Jesus is able to find rest and wisdom to be able to determine what his limits are and what's truly important to him. So where, does, where do you get that? What, where's the bridge between the, the swirl of voices and demands around him and the wisdom and inner strength that he has to know what he's supposed to be about? And the key was, in our text, it's called the desolate place. In Greek, it's a, it's a word that comes up all the time in the Gospels. It's variously translated in our English translations. It can be called the deserted place, the lonely place, the solitary place. Sometimes it's just translated wilderness. Sometimes it's quiet place. Jesus sought the quiet place, and there he found inner strength. It was a pattern throughout his ministry. Jesus began his ministry by being baptized, and the first thing he did after being baptized, he didn't speak a word, he didn't heal a person, but he, he, he went for 40 days where? The wilderness, the quiet place. 
a place of fasting and prayer and spiritual wrestling. The quiet place for Jesus was a place of preparation. Before he spoke a word, before he healed a body, he took 40 days alone in prayer. What if before we did the thing we're called to do, we took 40 days to prepare? What if before posting on Twitter about something really important, if Jesus took 40 days, maybe we could take 40 minutes to think about what we might say? It's the quiet place. It's the place of preparation, and it's something our Savior felt like he needed. And then you get, he comes out of the quiet place, and you get this long narrative about his first active day in ministry. And it was a marathon ministry, as we said. He woke up early and went to teach in the synagogue. He heals Peter's mother-in-law over lunch. And then he's up late healing the sick and the demonized. He would have been exhausted. How would you have gotten rest? Slept in? Gone for a light run? Workout? Little fitness? Little wellness? (laughs) little mindfulness, brunch with the disciples, little crepes at Cultiva. What did (laughs) Kara Proctor is like, I would have done all of those things. (laughs) Jesus sought the quiet place. Very early in the morning, it says, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and went to the desolate place. So I just want to clarify for you what's happening in Mark. Jesus goes at the beginning of his ministry to the quiet place for a month and a half. He comes back to Capernaum for one day of busy activity and heads straight back into the quiet place to pray. The story isn't over. Simon comes out and says, hey man. Everybody's looking for you. Is that in the, I don't know what he's saying. He's saying, hey, dude, bro, you're trending. What are you doing by yourself? And Jesus says, well, let's go someplace else, which is Jesus like for no, <laughs> I'm not going to do what you want me to do. So Jesus goes away to the wilderness and he comes out with all sorts of clarity about his calling and his identity. He comes out grounded and centered in touch with God, in touch with himself. And from that place of center, he knew what to say yes to and he knew what to say no to. The story goes on. Um, We fast forward to Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, the disciples are coming back to Jesus after their own stint in ministry, their own time doing kingdom work. And there's been crowds surrounding them with all their needs, uh, so many people coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, it says. Have you ever felt like that? Like life gets so busy and everybody's calling for your attention, just overwhelmed by the needs around you, you don't even have time to eat. That's what it was like for his disciples. And to his over-busy and over-tired apprentices, Jesus says, that's so beautiful. 
Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place, a desolate place, the quiet place to get some rest. In other words, Jesus says, guys, what you really need isn't a beer tonight. Isn't, it isn't to watch that next episode in the Netflix series. What you really need is time alone with me. And to do that, you're going to need to get away from the noise and the people. And that sound awesome? And so they get in the boat and they go away to be like with Jesus at the spa by the Sea of Galilee. I don't know where they're hanging out. They go to some quiet place. So great, but the story goes on. Do they get to be alone with Jesus in this story? No, the crowds somehow know where they're going to be and they get there before them. And uh, isn't that just like it? Jesus calls you away to a, to a quiet place and what happens? Your roommate has had a bad day. You know? People banging on your door. Your phone blowing up with all of the needs around you. You feel like you're robbed of this time alone with God because quiet is hard to come by. But I love this story because Jesus looks around at the crowds and it says he has compassion on them like they're sheep without a shepherd. And he begins to teach them. He has nothing emotionally in the tank. He's as tired as his disciples, but he somehow keeps giving. There's like an emotional miracle that happens in the Lord. And then we find that everybody's hungry, right? This is the feeding of the 5,000. There's thousands of people there. And they don't have anything to eat. And so the disciples are like, Jesus, you need to send them away. That we, that there's nothing in the tank. There's nothing to give these people. And Jesus says, no, in the same way that the, the Lord has restored my emotional reserves miraculously, he can make the miraculous happen with physical resources. And what he did in Jesus' heart, he now does for all the people with food. And he just, and it's abundant what's, what's there. God, and of course the, the moral of the story is God can take what little you have, whether it's emotional resources or whether it's physical resources. And if you, and if you allow yourself to be moved by compassion to meet the needs in the world, he will make those resources grow abundantly. But here's the point of the story today. After he experiences God's miraculous giving of emotional resources, what's the very next thing that Jesus does in the story? He sends his disciples away on a boat so that he can climb up a mountain and be in the desolate place with God. He doesn't presume upon God's miraculous provision. The regular way that he believes that God will restore his soul is in the quiet and the solitude on the mountain with the Lord. He doesn't presume upon God's miraculous intervention. Jesus goes to the quiet place, the desolate place, no less than nine times in the gospel narratives. And it's interesting, you can actually chart his, 
his movements there on the axis, the more busy that he became, the more often he sought these quiet places with the Lord. So in Luke chapter 5, it says, Yet the news about him spread all the more, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. The needs all the more, the more often Jesus goes to the quiet place. We could do all nine times, but we don't have the time to look at all of them, so we'll just do one last one. The Garden of Gethsemane, Luke 22. What does Jesus do to prepare himself to go to the cross? He goes to the garden to the desolate place and he prays intensely and he wrestles there with God and he, he prays himself into a place of submission. He yields himself to the will of God and he heads to the cross. It's the quiet place. With Jesus, it was the place of preparation before his ministry It was the place every day where he went to center himself and find the Lord. It's where he got direction about who he was supposed to be and what he was supposed to do. It's where he recharged and filled up for ministry. It's where he sensed his father's pleasure and purpose. It's where he submitted to his father's will. All of it happened in solitude away from others Jesus needed this. Don't you? And yet this is pretty hard for us to do. We live in a world of noise. Bombarded with traffic, helicopters, My neighbor mowing his lawn too early. (laughs) Cell phones buzzing. Notifications beeping. And everywhere there's voiceless but wordy ways that people are always trying to grab our attention. With advertisements, flags, and signs, each one filling our life with a kind of visible nose. Noise Everywhere we go, a flag or sticker, without speaking a word at all that speaks very loudly and that demands our attention, our loyalty, our voice, or our vote. We are overstimulated. And so we've grown to like the noise and like a, like a lion kind of anxiously pacing In the zoo, like everyone in the zoo knows that the lion's supposed to be there. The lion knows it's not supposed to be there. It's fed and it's surviving, but it's not thriving. That's us in a world of noise. And so we end up choosing noise because we're used to it. We need white noise to sleep. We prefer the low hum of music to silence. We reach for our phone at every second to see what's happening. Even our religious services, like this one, trade in hype and noise for quiet contemplation. 
And it's not just the world around us or the services we go to, but it's the digital world in our pockets, right? The internet is a robber, and what it takes away is not your money, but your attention and your reaction, and it wants them right now. And what it creates is an environment where everyone around us and us ourselves, what we're doing is we're just reacting to everything. Not responding in wisdom, not responding in love, but reacting to everything. I was thinking about what it means to react to something in anxiety, and I thought about my dogs on the 4th of July. How many of you have dogs that get anxious on the 4th of July? My dog goes bananas on the 4th of July. My dog is generally an anxious dog, so it's just about every other day, just a little more heightened. But you think the, the, the blast goes off, and the dog is panting and looking around. And I just think, man, that's our lives. That's our lives. That's the news update. That's the ticker. That's the notification on the phone. It goes off, and we're like the dogs on the 4th of July. Studies show that constant noise boosts stress hormones, blood pressure, and susceptibility to chronic illness. It creates a kind of relentless distractibility that keeps us from noticing our very lives. It keeps us from noticing our our internal needs and longings. Never-ending noise makes it difficult to process grief and intense emotion in healthy ways. And it disconnects us from our greatest need, which is the Lord. Which is why Jesus' words and invitation to his disciples are so lovely. Come away with me and find a quiet place for a while. I was thinking... I was going to do the Elijah story from the children's message. I wish I could just pull you, everybody here up, and like you weren't sitting on the pews anymore, but you were sitting here. And I'd tell you about Elijah, who running away in fear and looking for God, going up into a mountain and getting into a cave. And there was, there was thunder and a storm. But the Lord wasn't in the storm. And there was an earthquake. Can you make the sound of an earthquake? But it wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was a bear. (laughs) But the Lord wasn't in the bear. (laughs) And then there was the sound of a low. A low whisper. In the quiet, we grow attentive to God. In the quiet, we bring our fears and pressures and anxieties and racing thoughts and we gather them up and we plunge them into His care and into His providence and into His love. 
And there we remember that we are loved. We remember who we are in Christ. And we remember that we are not in control at all. The quiet place is the place of peace. The quiet place is the place of wisdom. And so it has made me think this week about the relationship of quiet to our work. Do we have the life of prayer and silence necessary to sustain the work that we're doing? Of raising kids, being married, doing our job, being a friend. Most of us don't have the spiritual rhythms and practices that, are, that cultivate wisdom, humility, thoughtfulness. But the busier that Jesus got, the more he sought these places out. In seasons of busyness, it's the first thing to go for me and you. And we always have excuses. I have a test coming up. Man, the demands of this thing require me to continue working. I'm an extrovert. Whatever it is. But just to think that Jesus needed the quiet place. He needed a fair bit of it. He went to it often. And we should too. Think about the relationship between silence and your work and think about the relationship between silence and your words. Silence is the place where we go to prepare ourselves to speak God's words. Words are important. We use them all the time to encourage, bless, support, advocate, teach, and disciple But our words can get us in trouble, can't they? When we rush them, when we're reacting instead of responding. And we live in a world that wants us to rush to give our opinions. With social media, we can broadcast our personal opinion about any major news event. And with that comes the expectation that we do so. And that we form our opinion and we speak it quickly, loudly, and often. And in all the noise and clamoring, I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to honor the complexity of these issues. The entrenched social problems. And so, instead of finding wisdom, we instead retreat to our own ideological corners and cliches. I have never felt more pressure to speak on an issue. Something can happen on a Friday night, a Friday afternoon, a Saturday morning, and I just get texts. What are you going to say? What are we going to do? I don't know. Oftentimes, I don't know. I need time. To think and process. The church needs to speak. And at times, it hasn't when it should have. But where is the place of the pause? The reality is, is that a a desire for silence is can be rooted in our desire not to, 
to be a coward, but in our desire to know more rather than relying on the reliability of the first new story that comes out, which is often not the full story. Our desire for silence can be a desire to ponder the voices that make the best sense from both sides of an issue. Seeking quiet can come from a desire just not to spew more ignorance because God knows we've had enough of that. And it can come from wanting to phrase what we say in a way that, as Colossians says, is full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that we may know how to answer everyone. Words are important in life and in prayer, but I want to say that our best words emerge after we've spent a lot of time in silence. That's what gives weightiness to our words. The quiet place. Jesus actively sought justice. No one can say that he lived, he didn't live an active kingdom life. And throughout his ministry, this man who could heal, who could preach, who was himself a prophet, he ran from crowds, disappeared again and again to pray for a long time. And when he spoke out against evil, he did so within a context of a life punctuated by long, intentional silences. What would it be like if we took the 40 days before we said the thing that mattered to so many people? A few practical suggestions about how to seek the quiet place. First, just get comfortable with silence. Get used to not filling the time with the noise or the podcast or the phone. When you're in line at the grocery store, pause. Let your feelings settle. Check in with yourself and the Lord. Drive in silence sometimes. Process your day. Just get used to not having your life be so noisy. Um, And then introduce quiet into your quiet time. It's called a quiet time for goodness sakes. And we fill it with reading and processing and, and content consumption. What does it look like to start and end it with three minutes of silence? And when something resonates with you in your time with the Lord, to pause and linger with the Lord in that space. And then finally, know when it's time to take a time out. You get the email. You're on Twitter. You see someone reacting. And you're angry at the email or the Twitter post. And, and the perfect comeback comes to your mind. Oh, it's going to be a good one. If you post or write just then, you are reacting. It is time to seek the quiet place. And if you can never feel peace, you should never speak or respond to that thing, because the firecracker just went off. Bah! 
And if you feel like the dog, squirrel, sound, that's not the place in which to speak, especially about the most complicated and entrenched problems in our society. Be still and know that he is God. Be still and know that he is. Be still and know him. Be still and know. Be still. Be. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this invitation that you have to yourself to seek you in the quiet place. Sometimes we feel like we've lost you. And it's like when we lose our keys and they're in our own pocket, they were with us the whole time. So often it's not your absence, but our distraction that keeps us away from recognizing your presence with us in the world. And so I pray that you over time would be able to cultivate in each one of us a little altar of holy presence in the quiet place, one that can be accessed at any time because your quiet whispering voice is always calling out to us, drawing us back to you and to your love. Thank you that you opened the way for us to be able to seek you on the cross. Thank you for purchasing for us uh, the abiding, quiet place with you. Thank you that it's always available to us. So would we boldly approach the throne of grace uh, and grow in this practice of pause and silence and solitude um, and in do so that we would be made more like you, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Amen.